Lots of topics to discuss. We're going to go the full hour with the panel, Global BC's Keith Baldry and Richard Zussman, alongside BC Today's Shannon Walker. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. It's a beautiful morning here in Kamloops. Uh, it looks like a nice weekend to go voting in a municipal election. <laughs> uh, a pleasure to be joined on the phone by uh, Richard Zussman, Shannon Waters, and uh, I don't know if Keith's on the line yet. Uh, we're having some trouble getting a hold of him. Keith, you there or no? Nope, not there. Okay. So we'll go with Richard and Shannon and hopefully we'll loop Keith in as soon as we can get him on the phone. Uh, guys, welcome. How are you? We are great, Shane. It is perfect voting weather, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, we'll get into municipal politics a little later on the show, but uh, I'm really curious to see uh, what pre- what turnout is uh, in different ridings. I think there's enough in the lower mainland going on that, that there might be more peaked interest than usual. But anyway, we'll dive into that a little bit later. Uh, I wanted to start with the speculation tax. Uh, I know that we've covered this uh, with you guys uh, extensively here on this show. A weird way to introduce a tax. We finally saw the legislature legislation this week. Uh, and then, of course, we had that uh, press conference with Andrew Weaver and, and uh, Carol James yesterday announcing that the two sides have come to an agreement, uh, winning over green support to get the tax passed in the House. Uh, I guess we all know where, where Andrew Weaver drew a line in the sand on the speculation tax. And the big question is, is did he come out a winner or a loser in what he got at the end of the day, Richard? I think he came out a winner. I think he came out looking pretty good and showed that in a minority government situation, there has to be some give for the government. Uh, They need to at least show the Greens that they're willing uh, to change policies that they're not totally on board with. What confused me a bit, Shane, is, as you mentioned, Andrew Weaver had put his line in the sand a while ago. It was clear he didn't like the legislation. I just don't know why the two sides didn't sit together and then introduce the bill with the amendments already built in. I guess the NDP wants to show that they fought hard for that 1% for Albertans and other Canadians to have to pay the tax rather than the now amended 0.5%. And then if it doesn't turn out well, the NDP can say, look, we had it right all along and the Greens forced us to change it. But it would have been a real clear sign of compromise if they had actually done it before the amendment stage and when they introduced the bill just had a piece of legislation that both sides agreed on yeah no that's interesting uh one of the other points that i sort of caught my eye i'm not sure if it was uh, the end of a hard-fought battle or more of an optics thing andrew weaver of course wanted that opt-out clause for the mayors uh, and ended up surrendering that for an annual meeting which i'm not sure is going to result in anything tangible shannon i mean it It seems like a fairly minor tweak. The government had already built in a review mechanism for the tax to check in and see sort of if it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, what they hope it's going to be doing in terms of freeing up um, rental spaces and raising rental vacancy rates in the province. So the government had already sort of intended to keep an eye on what the tax was doing. They do like their reviews and consultations when it comes to um, policy. So... I mean, I guess now the mayors get to be a part of that, but it's certainly not the sort of support for municipal consent that Weaver had said 
he needed to see in order for him to be able to support the legislation. So I do think he kind of backed down on that one a bit. Yeah, I guess my problem with it is the mayors, uh, certainly a lot of them, and uh, West Kelowna's Doug Finletter is, is probably leading the pack there, but uh, they have been very vocal with their opposition to the tax and tabling uh, all sorts of paperwork and proof and demanding this, that, and the next thing. And if the province isn't going to listen to that, I'm not so sure they're going to be willing to make changes to listen to the same thing again in another yearly meeting, Richard. No, I thought the meeting was a little bit silly because I was at UBCM where a lot of this came up and this government has done a far better job than the previous government at actually meeting with mayors. And so meetings aren't the challenge. It's actually getting change that comes out of those meetings. The opt-out was a crucial piece in all of this, right? Municipalities should have some sort of control over policies that affect them individually, especially when some municipalities have this tax and some don't. And this province, again, this provincial government has been very good so far at listening to and working with local governments. We've seen that with the rollout on the pot shops. They've done a quite good job at listening, where in this case, they seem unwilling to listen. And I think, although I think Weaver's come out a winner on this, I think there's a bit of a loss in the opt-out. And But I don't think this was anything the government was ever going to consider anyway. So it, it wasn't worth dying for, I think, is what the Greens ultimately decided. But I think this meeting is ultimately pretty meaningless considering, you know, the finance minister was already meeting with all these mayors anyways. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. I mean, uh, Andrew Weaver went into this prior to this uh, this government being formed, saying that he'd be willing to work with both sides and various issues. Uh, he has yet to do that. And certainly that was a topic of conversation going into uh, whether or not the spe- uh, speculation tax legislation would pass. Would, would Andrew Weaver have been better positioned to work with the Liberals and, and on some amendments over here and over there, use that as sort of a leverage to get more, do you think, or no, Shannon? Well, at this point, I don't think we'll ever know. I mean, that's not not the route that the Greens decided to take. Certainly, Wilkinson yesterday said that his caucus had reached out multiple times to the Greens to see, you know, what what are you planning to do on the speculation tax? Weaver had talked about his own private member's bill. He'd also mentioned looking to make amendments to the government's uh, speculation and vacancy tax bill. And Wilkinson said that the Greens showed no interest in engaging with the Liberals at all, even to discuss the strategy. So I don't know if, you know, this is a one-off, but as you mentioned, the Greens have sort of said, Weaver has said, you know, I'm willing to work with whoever. It's about good policy. It's about a practical approach. It's about getting things done. That is not what we've seen. And once again, with the speculation tax, we're seeing the Greens and the NDP decide to work together and come to a compromise rather than the Greens and the Liberals forcing the government to make changes that they'd like to see happen. Here's a question. Uh, the speculation tax has undergone a number of changes since it was a first initially put on the table. I mean, obviously, we saw legislation much later than the details of the tax initially, but uh, one of the changes uh, in this agreement between the Greens and the NDP is reducing the rate for uh, Canadian citizens out of province or permanent residents uh, from what was 1% is now down to half a percent. So, Richard, do we know what the budgetary implications of that would be? I imagine that that's a, a bit of a financial kick in the pants. Yeah, it's really funny, Shane, because we've repeatedly asked uh, Minister James for budget updates as she's made these changes throughout, like you mentioned, right? Because originally the tax was supposed to be a universal set number for all jurisdictions. That changed. Then certain areas were exempt, so that would have meant less revenues. James has long said that they were very 
uh, sort of generous in, the, in their forecast, and even by making changes, they still hit, uh, plan on hitting the targets. I mean, rather than generous, I mean more stingy. Like they they underestimated, I think, in her estimation. Um, but just in terms of these changes, the number she uh, cited yesterday was about thirty million dollars a year. So there will be thirty million dollars less going into the coffers because of the change on the percentage for Canadian uh, citizens who pay tax here, uh, who are not satellite families. Uh, the other important point to make, the third, the amendment we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, they will legislate that the money is earmarked for housing projects in all the areas that have the tax. So yeah. I think my understanding is that before any community could have received that money, now it's going to be targeted just to those communities uh, where the tax is applied. Does, I wonder if that makes the tax more palatable to communities where it doesn't apply. I mean, there, one of the things about the tax, of course, it only applies in certain areas. Here in Kamloops, it doesn't apply. Kelowna example, it does apply. If those monies are going to stay in the region to be targeted at affordable housing, you could make the argument now that those communities where the tax applies are going to get some boost on the affordable housing front that communities where the tax doesn't apply do not. Shannon? Yeah, and that was something that um, James said, you know, the government supports this idea. It is important that the communities that are paying this tax do directly see a benefit from it in the form of affordable housing. I don't think that means that the government is going to stop with its um, plans to also look at building affordable housing elsewhere. But it does seem like kind of a conciliatory move to say, okay, your community is paying this tax. We are going to make sure that the revenues that are being generated from your community are going back into the community to help the issue with housing affordability and rental vacancy um, that we are trying to address through this tax. So to me, that one seems like possibly the most sensible amendment. Um, It's also a relatively, I think, minor legislative tweak. There's already language in the bill or language that the government had had used in introducing the bill to say we are going to use this revenue specifically to build affordable housing. Hmm, interesting. Uh, last uh, last round on this topic, but uh, we we've been waiting for the legislation. Uh, the Green NDP announcement kind of has uh, co-opted the spotlight somewhat. But Richard, anything else in that legislation uh, worth noting or no? Yeah, I don't think anything really stood out. <laughs> I wasn't that there are some sort of exemptions that are in there. I can't remember the fine print details around uh, certain types of development, uh, also uh, exemptions for uh, the disabilities in terms of uh, owning property. I, I don't know specifically the exemptions, um, but you know those stood out a little bit, but there was nothing really there, Shane, right? We, we, we'd heard all along that this was evolving. I wasn't one of those guys that had my hair on fire about. You know, we we don't know the bill, so how could we possibly know how this was going to work? I think I think the government was relatively clear. Now they have to get this passed, and it looks like they will get that done. And then I think the real test will be to see how this works, right? Like, does this actually address speculation? Does this actually force people to rent out their homes? Does it increase yeah. vacancies in these areas like Kelowna? So, you know, that's what we need to watch for. And no, we can only judge it at that point, I think, if it actually works as intended. In fairness, if you did let your hair on fire, it would be a small fire. So It would be a very <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shannon, politically, the Liberals have jumped all over the speculation tax. It's been a bit of a pain in the butt for the NDP government since they put this thing on the table. Uh, now that we have this thing more or less clarified going forward, uh, is it still sort of a political opportunity for the Liberals or, or no? 
Well, I think they are certainly using it as one. I'm listening to the bill was being debated at second reading yesterday afternoon, and I was listening to some of the um, speeches being made by the liberal MLAs, and there was some strong and colorful language in those statements. Um, so, and on Twitter, like social media, the liberals mostly have been bashing Weaver for caving again, for backing down. They're using hashtag Hoffenpuff. Um, to talk talk about him. So I think they will, you know, continue to run with this for sort of as long as they can. There is other legislation coming up. And, you know, I'll just point out that all of the polling that I have seen around the speculation tax is that it's quite popular among a lot of people in this province, at least because they see the government doing something to tackle housing affordability. Um, So... You know, the liberals, of course, are going to talk about it as, you know, a tax on cabins, a tax on, you know, families who are trying to carve out a space to celebrate this beautiful province, celebrate and enjoy this beautiful province of ours. But I don't know how long that is really going to last. And then, like Richard said, we're just going to have to wait and see how the tax actually plays out once it's enacted. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think that's an excellent point. It does seem very popular. And I think that a loss in the politics of all this is a whole bunch of people in the lower mainland who may not be finely tuned into how it works, but are very thankful that somebody is doing something on a problem that is uh, top of mind for most. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll return on the other side uh, with uh, Shannon Waters, Richard Zussman, and hopefully get hold of Keith Baldry. More on Inside Politics on NL after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Accountable to you. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL. (laughs) All right, we'll try that again. Good morning and welcome back. We're talking to Richard Zussman and Shannon Waters this morning. Uh, Guys, the proportional representation campaign has been uh, whiling away all but invisible in the background of all sorts of other things. Uh, And there is a potential to give a little more limelight with this uh, possible debate between the Premier and Andrew Wilkinson. So um, I guess first and foremost, uh, Shannon, I'll bring you in this first. Who who do you think stands to lose or gain if we indeed have this debate? And that that right now is uh, something of an if. Yeah, and I was thinking about this yesterday because it came up in question period again. Wilkinson keeps asking Horgan to pick a date uh, for this debate when they're going to have this televised debate. And I do think that the Premier has more to lose in in taking this debate on. Well, in, in really in making a decision either way, because I think in some people's eyes, if he says no, if he refuses to do it, that's not going to look good. Either he's afraid of debating Wilkinson or he's not taking the issue of uh, electoral reform seriously enough. But if he does go into the debate, we don't really know how that goes. Now, I know Horgan is a very sort of animated and engaging debater, and I do think he might have the edge on Wilkinson over that. But whether he's really going to convince a lot of people to vote for PR, I'm, I'm not convinced of that. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's one of the key questions in any debate. Somebody delivers a knockout punch, and then that's the end of that. Uh, Richard, I don't know if, if Global's got a stake in this or not. Any news and whether there's something in the works on your guys' end or no? We do have a stake. <laughs> there, there is. I, I try to figure out how much I can tell you. <laughs> we have been part of negotiations and conversations for a number of weeks now. I am confident there will be a debate, more because of the language that Premier Horgan has used uh, rather than what I've heard from the conversations that we've been having. I think he's made it clear he wants to have this debate. I think if John Horgan wants something to happen, it's going to happen. 
Uh, the question is, where is it going to be and at what time? And uh, it's been clear from the government that it's going to be a televised debate. Uh, and as you know, uh, with the dwindling media, there's not as many television stations and opportunities on air as there used to be. Uh, so global's part of the conversations. We, uh, I can say we'd really love to do it. Uh, we, are, we are working hard to make that happen. I am confident it will happen in some capacity, and I'm really, really hoping it will be on global uh, and BC1 and also with our partners at CKNW. And so we, we, are, we are working with, on something, and I'm optimistic it will happen. Okay, well, that's good news. Um, how important is it, do you guys think, to have the debate just from a, from a, from a perspective of, of getting something going on the campaign awareness front? Because uh, ballots are going in the mail next week, and, and as far as I'm concerned, this thing has been toiling away in literally obscurity. I think you're right. It's been, because of the municipal elections as well, there hasn't been a lot of attention. I don't think, I think our plan was to do a debate all along. I think the important part about doing a debate is about getting information out there. And if all Horgan and Wilkinson want to do during this debate is to take pot shots at each other, it won't be very successful and may actually hurt in voter turnout. I think people are thirsting for information about the electoral systems, how they would work, what our province would look like. And I'm not sure a televised debate similar to a leader's debate is the best way to get that information out there. But that also falls down to us in terms of our jobs every day as journalists. You know, we're going to be providing a lot of information to the public starting next week. There's a major rally that Don Horgan and Andrew Weaver are holding uh, next week in Victoria that sort of, to me, seems like the political kickoff of all of this. So, you know, make sure you follow along with the media. We will be providing information. I think that part is far more critical than this debate between uh, Wilkinson and Horgan in, in terms of people actually getting the information they need uh, to make their decision when they vote. Shannon? Yeah, I mean, I agree with the sort of awareness aspect. You know, having the premier and the leader of the opposition debate the issue would certainly draw some eyeballs. Um, as one of the younger members of the BC Press Gallery and also a member of uh, independent media outlet, I want to point out that there are a lot of British Columbians who do not have cable subscriptions, who do not watch TV, particularly younger voters. And so I'm really hoping that if and when the debate is scheduled, that there will be options for people to watch it online, whether that's the yes. Facebook live stream or just having the options to make sure that as many people as possible have access to those arguments. Again, as Richard said, if it does just end up being Horgan and Wilkinson trading barbs over, you know, uh, PR and, and who is the most humble and who's got the biggest ego and blah, 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 it's not really going to be that valuable in terms of education. Then again, I don't know that debates typically are. Um, debating is not usually about presenting a very sort of well-reasoned and accessible argument that's going to change people's minds. It's often about scoring points against your opponents. So again, I agree with Richard that people relying on the media and on sort of coverage of the different forms of proportional representation that we're looking at, what the ballot's going to look like, what the implications are. There's a lot of information out there already, and I'm really hoping that once we get the municipal elections out of the way, it will crank up even more, and people will have sort of a little more time and energy to spend on the issue. Yeah, for sure. By the way, we've got uh, Keith now looped into the conversation. Uh, Keith, maybe last word to you on the proportional representation possible debate 
and, and maybe, I don't know what your thought is, whether this Canada Post threatened job action is, is a, of concern on the referendum front or not. Well, Canada Post job action, I think Elections BC will, they already signaled, they'll extend the voting period. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be a huge problem. In terms of information, don't look to television for to get information on the PR debate. Uh, there's not going to be a coherent two-minute story on uh, various proportional representation models, either on Global's NewsHour or on CBC or CTV. That's not the forum or the medium to get this information. Uh, Shannon's right. Not a lot of people, uh, particularly the younger generation, necessarily have cable to watch television. So you're going to have to, if you want your research uh, done, you're going to have to consume that in other forms of media. And that's large, by and large because this is so complicated. In the print media, go to Elections BC's website and look at those uh, explanations of the various models and uh, and do your due diligence there. But don't rely, I think, on uh, your traditional media, particularly when it comes to TV or radio, when it comes to getting real detailed information on uh, on these uh, models. Because they're complicated and it takes a bit of time to explain each one. Yeah, no, true. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to Keith, Richard, and Shannon after we get caught up to the bottom of the hour news here on Radio NL. More on Inside Politics uh, right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. You're listening to Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Shannon Waters, and Richard Zussman this morning. Of course, today is uh, day three of legal marijuana. We're probably still firmly entrenched in the novelty period, but uh, serious issues do linger. Uh, Keith, why don't we start with you? Chief among them, uh, I'm hearing from from being up at the only store in the province here in Kamloops uh, over the last two days, uh, price point is a concern, at least among some. Yeah, it's going to take some time, I think, for that to sort of be sorted out. I think the market is, this is basically entering a free market, and it's been a black market up until now. Having said that, I do think the media, and we're guilty of this as well, has just gotten, like, crazy over coverage of this. Global Mail the other day, uh, I think pretty well every page in the paper had two or three stories on, on cannabis legalization. And when you when you dial it all back, this does not affect the majority of the population. This is still a, a product that's used by a, a, a small minority. It's, it's, there's a novelty aspect to this, but it's not the end of the world, and it's not the beginning of a new world for, for many people. So I think there's been a bit of hysteria attached to the, the legalization front of this because it, it's kind of fun to look at it, but it's not a huge thing in most people's lives, and this fixation, I think, from a lot of media outlets on on this, at the expense of a lot of other issues, is um, it's amusing to watch at times, but uh, I think it's going to die down over time. Yeah, well, it definitely will be normalized for sure. Uh, we also don't have the full scope of the market. The only thing servicing oh. the entirety of the province is the online store, uh, and we're going to see a lot more stores flood out. Uh, Richard, as far as, as, as legalization goes, uh, one of the big things, of course, the selling points of this is getting rid of the black market. Uh, Mike Farnworth has been on the record as saying, well, listen, that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, right now, I'm hearing the, the black markets looking at the current price point and going, yeah, we can deal with this. Yeah, I think part of it also is the distribution channel. So soon it will be the only place legally where you can get marijuana will be the distribution uh, hub from the province. Right now, there's a lot of product out there, and it's not legal per se, but there's no enforcement mechanism the province is using just yet to crack down on it. So a lot of product out there. What also makes it different is the fact that the federal government has allowed people to have four plants that they can grow at home. So there will be additional 
product. I think, though, we're looking in a number of years that this will be similar to how we treat beer. You know, people can make beer at home, but it's more expensive. Uh, it isn't as good. Uh, companies that make a lot of beer can mass produce it, and they can do different things. And so at some point, I don't understand the marijuana product uh, anywhere close to I do the beer product. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think at some point we'll get to a point where it will be sort of these craft industries will exist, but the big producers will be able to produce it at a price that is cheaper, and that in turn will start forcing the black market out. Because what yeah. we're looking for is is quality and price. And I think legalization will lead to the legitimate people being able to provide the best quality and the best price over time. Well, like Keith mentioned, and we've heard lots of time from Minister Farnworth, it is going to take a lot of time to get there. Yeah, and the other key component of that, too, I think, is we've been operating in this gray area for a number of years where uh, there's been some crackdown, for sure, but uh, police departments essentially began to have a change of attitude and say, you know, we're going we're gonna to give a lot of things a pass as we wait to see how this thing kind of settles itself out. Well, now it's settled itself out. Now we have rules, we have laws, we have bylaws, and I think the enforcement part of it will play an important role in, in not only getting rid of the black market, but sort of normalizing its activity. Shannon? Yeah, for sure. And we've already seen, I believe it was Port Alberni, our CMP there, um, busted a couple of dispensaries, I believe, on legalization day or yesterday. I'm really curious as to where these people complaining about the price point have been buying their weed. Um, having lived in Vancouver for a very <laughs> long time and then now currently residing in Victoria, I did a little bit of research prior to oh, do tell. the station and visited some of the gray market dispensaries that have been operating here. And the price per gram um, that was being offered in these dispensaries, which I assume is where a lot of people, at least in, say, Victoria, Vancouver, I know Nanaimo's had some, uh, Port Alberni obviously had some dispensaries. The price point per gram is well within the range of what I was seeing in dispensaries that were operating here in Victoria. The government store starts at about $7 per gram. It goes all the way up to about $16.30 per gram, depending on the product that you want to buy. So I'm not sure where these people who think that the prices are really high are, uh, to use a word that's been kicked around a lot in the past <laughs> years, um, are where they were buying their products from. Some of the dispensaries I saw were offering um, cannabis at like $20 a gram. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. I think we are, and, and Farnworth has said, you know, we are going to see sort of a ramp up of enforcement. He wasn't expecting expecting um, police to go out and immediately sort of start cracking down um, on even the gray market dispensaries, although many of them have shut their doors in the hopes of getting into the legal market. Um, but our public safety minister has said, you know, as we see more stores open and there's sort of more access, we will be ramping up and cracking down on the sort of gray market um, and black market options that are currently out there. One aspect of legalization is playing out more or less the way I thought it would, and that's the reaction from some of the hardcore advocates who uh, translated legalization as a free-for-all orgy of being able to do what they want, when they want, where they want, and that is simply not how legalization works. Keith? Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, we, you talk to Mike Farnworth, all you have to do is drop the name Dana Larson or Mark Emery into the conversation, and his blood starts to boil. Uh, this is, people have to keep in mind, the government now is basically in charge of a, of a, of a, a product that was 
before now, uh, moving in an illegal black market operation. And once the government gets involved, that changes everything. And uh, it's not a free market necessarily. Uh, there are checks and balances, and it's not what Dana Larson and Mark Emery were advocating for years, which was a sort of the wild frontier, no holds barred, anything goes uh, type of marketplace. That's not what's uh, about to take place here. Both the provincial and federal government have their hands in this, and anything that the federal government and the provincial government are involved in means government control. And that's, uh, as Richard says, it's going to take a number of years to evolve to the point of, of where we get the actual system in place. But uh, make no mistake, this is not the, uh, the Dana Larson's and Mark Emery's driving the bus here. It's the provincial and federal governments and the bureaucrats that come with it. And, you know, Shannon's point about the, the compliance and enforcement is a good one. I keep bugging Mike Farnworth. When are you going to unleash your Elliot Ness squad on these uh, illegal dispensaries like Prohibition and start shutting them down and, and getting rid of their product? And uh, he says that's going to take some time, but that's going to come. We're going to get to the point yep. where you're going to see a 44-member team from Farnworth's ministry spread out around the province are going to start moving into these illegal dispensaries and taking their product and shutting them down. And that's going to be the most controversial thing I think we see going forward. Uh, sort of to touch on Keith's earlier point about uh, uh, the amount of usage and, and which demographic it sort of replies to or responds to as far as uh, media coverage. Uh, the uh, the sales number is what? It was about 800 uh, transactions at the Kamloops store, uh, somewhere around 9,000 transactions on the online store. Not bad, but when you compare it to a population base in this province, uh, not a whole lot. Again, we don't have stores spread across the province, but as far as, as the taxes and revenue out of that, any kind of a sneak peek yet, Rich? Again, we're, we're dealing with an incomplete picture here, uh, but any kind of a sneak peek at, at what we might be see to flow into the provincial coffers or no? No, not yet, and it's going to take a long time to get there because there are a lot of upfront costs associated with this. You know, Keith mentioned the enforcement team. Uh, they need to build that team, hire that team, put that team in place. As the government starts uh, implementing its stores, they have to put uh, money into that. There's also uh, education campaigns. The province has a uh, really great website in terms of information about cannabis and about you know, where it's available, but more importantly about the risks associated with the drug and uh, an education campaign around that. So there are a lot of costs associated with it. Hardworth has been clear all along this isn't about making money, it's not about revenues, uh, and it's just about getting to a point where it's normal. And then at that point, I think we can have a, an actual conversation about what this will mean in terms of how much money and, and where that money will will end up going uh, once the province gets its hands on it. Final word to you, Shannon. One of the other issues still lingering out there, and, and it may, this uh, this lack of sort of a complete picture provincially and, and uh, a lack of revenue sort of a figure yet may impact this, but uh, local government's still hunting for that share of whatever that revenue is, uh, and there hasn't been much movement on that, and I don't anticipate there's going to be any time soon. No, I mean, we're going to be waiting a while to see, you know, as Richard said, what the actual tax revenues are and then how those are shared out um, around the province. I'm curious to see if the municipalities who are saying we don't want any cannabis sales whatsoever are going to think that they should still have a share of the revenue from the product that they don't want sold in their communities. Uh, Richmond has said they want neither government stores nor private retail uh, anywhere in the city which would force people living there to buy only from uh, the government online store. I think that eventually there is going to be a bit of pushback against some of the rules, regulations, and particularly the fines around contravening um, some of the issues 
uh, with cannabis use and also cannabis cultivation, Dana Larson um, held a protest of legalization on the steps of the legislature um, on legalization day. And the one point that I thought he did make that made a lot of sense is that if you decide you're going to take advantage of your right to grow cannabis, um, if you grow it in a place where somebody can see it from walking by or driving by or whatever, you can face a fine of thousands of dollars um, for having this plant on this legal plant that you are legally allowed to grow on view. And I think that of the you know Richard was talking about comparing cannabis to beer, and I think that currently a lot of the rules and the fines associated with contravening like consumption laws. Um, are a lot higher than what we see for alcohol consumption mm. in the wrong place. Um, and I think there's going to be some pushback against that, and I'm hopeful that eventually it will sort of be on par. Like, the fines will be the same. You'll face the same sort of repercussions for improperly using cannabis as you do currently when it comes to alcohol. All right. Uh, and uh, to Richard's point, there may also soon be cannabis beer, so uh, it, will stray, <laughs> it will stray into his realm soon enough. Uh, we'll take a quick break here at Inside Politics, and uh, we'll take a look at the civic politics of Election Day tomorrow uh, with Keith Shannon and Richard right after this. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. We're talking to Shannon, Richard, and Keith about uh, civic election stuff in this segment because VC, uh, BC rather votes tomorrow when polls open and civic elections right across the province. Uh, it's been a nice one here in Kamloops, a respectful debate uh, and, and not much in the way of shenanigans, exactly the opposite of what's going on in places like Surrey, Vancouver, uh, and Burnaby. Uh, so why don't we start there, Richard? Uh, lots of craziness going on in the lower mainland. What in the hell is going on? Yeah, it's been super interesting, Shane. And so, obviously, the three you mentioned are big races to watch. Vancouver and Surrey will have a new mayor for sure, with the incumbents not running again. Burnaby may end up with a new mayor. Uh, Global News will have big coverage uh, coming up on Saturday night. And for Shannon's sake, it will be on our Facebook page and on the website as well. (laughs) Uh, We will be covering uh, the entire province. And, you know, it's really interesting to see what's shaping out in Vancouver. The polls are obviously leaning towards uh, former NDP MP Kennedy Stewart, but it seems like there is a chance there we could see somebody else as the mayor. Uh, Ken Sim for the NPA, sort of a classically right-leaning uh, municipal party. Shauna Sylvester is running as an independent, uh, so is Stewart. Uh, Hector Bremner is a younger guy who's just talking all housing. Sorry. You know, we've seen these RCMP investigations into allegations of vote fraud. We may see Doug McCallum uh, back as mayor. Uh, He would be a real thorn in the side of the NDP government. Mm. It's elected as the mayor of Surrey. Uh, And then in Burnaby, Derek Corrigan, long, long, long time mayor there. He's in the fight of his life against Mike Hurley. Both of them, you know, would probably work pretty well with the NDP government, but... A lot of this is about whether people in Burnaby want change or not. So we'll have lots of good coverage. Uh, Keith and I are both involved in the broadcast on Saturday night, uh, and it should be lots of fun. Well, if anybody has Diane Watts on their panel, keep a fixed camera on her if uh, McCollum ends up being the winner. Her reaction <laughs> should be extremely telling. Uh, Keith, uh, speaking of Kennedy Stewart, he sort of caught up in something that was raised in the legislature yesterday as uh, Mike DeYoung and, and Todd Stone talk about this third-party contribution limits or lack thereof, allowing unions to kind of make some hay uh, among some select 
candidates. Uh, Stone going as far as to say uh, perhaps uh, the government should consider the results illegitimate, but there certainly seems to be something at play here. Well, yeah, it's, uh, this has long been a long-standing issue. Unions letting uh, their their organizers on paid leave to go work for campaigns, and it's not deemed to be a campaign contribution. Uh, it's a bit, it's quite a dodge, I think, of the rules. But I don't, I'm not sure the voters really pay much attention to that. At the end of the day, I think. Uh, uh, other issues, uh, you know, housing, crime, those types of things, and, and the desire for a change. And that's what's certainly sweeping Metro Vancouver right now, this perceived notion that people... There was an Insights West poll out the other day, and for what it's worth, almost 70% of residents in Metro Vancouver want to change in the government at their local city hall, whether it was Vancouver, Burnaby, Abbotsford, Langley, whatever. People want to change, and that means incumbents are in, uh, in, in peril here. I think that's a big reason so many incumbent mayors decided to step down. So this is a, this is going to be a historic election because not only do you have a whole bunch of new mayors coming in, which has ramifications for things like TransLink and other regional authorities, but also the council makeup is going to change. And I'm not sure how many of these new mayors are going to be able to work well with, uh, with a new council that's going to be fractured. And, uh, and all over the map, a lot of the old traditional parties are going by the wayside, and new alliances and, and things are, are, are uh, being formed. It's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating outcome. Yeah, and I wonder how much of all of that will result in a higher voter turnout. Uh, civic elections usually are brutal voter turnouts hovering around the 30% mark, sometimes a little less here and there. Uh, but it sounds like there's enough attention, I mean, albeit some of it uh, a little controversial and maybe about, you know, not the best news in the world, but uh, there is some interest in there. I'll be curious, Shannon, once the polls close, how many people actually voted. For sure, and I believe I've seen some coverage of reporters who are following these municipal races who have seen that there's been a bit of an uptick in advanced voting um, compared to the last time we went to the municipal polls, which, as uh, as Justin McElroy from CBC pointed out, could either be very significant or mean absolutely nothing at all for actual voter turnout. So I do agree that there's been some very animated races. Um, I've been, even here in Victoria, I mean, where Lisa Helps is, is running again. We had the report from um, the police complaint commissioner sort of criticizing her for handling of uh, disciplinary action. Yeah, rightfully um, so. Vancouver, of course, has been com completely insane. And the one thing I do kind of worry about is they have a randomized ballot there now, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of names on this ballot. So voters do have to do some work, both to educate themselves about who they want to vote for and, and when it comes to, you know, who are you going to vote for on, on school board, not just council, but, you know, school board or parks board if you're on if you're in Vancouver or a city that has one of those bodies, um, and then you actually have to put in the work of filling out, um, in some cases, just enormous ballots. So, I mean, I hope people either have already cast theirs or are intending uh, to do so tomorrow, um, but we'll just have to wait and see when the polls close. All right, we only got about a minute left, but really quickly from the three of you, just to go around the horn, uh, other than the traditional, you know, your Vancouver's and Burnaby's, your Surrey's, which will be fascinating to watch, any other districts that are on your radar as far as interesting races or something to keep an eye on? Keith? Uh, Nanaimo, uh, where Leonard Krogh, the NDP MLA, is running for mayor, 
I think he's probably going to win, which, uh, so that's a race that has a potentially impact on the provincial election scene because uh, that will make a seat vacant there, take one seat out of the NDP government's uh, column, and in that House right now, it's very precarious in terms of majorities. A couple of illnesses at the wrong time on a confidence vote would imperil the government So without pro-Gare. Uh, there's going to be a by-election there. The NDP's favorite to win it. But uh, governments don't usually win by-elections in B.C., so the is one to keep it on because the ramifications there go well beyond the civic borders. Richard? Delta. Sylvia Bishop is an NDPer. She would work very closely with the government and try to ease this transition around the George Massey tunnel replacement, whereas George Harvey, if he gets elected, or even Jim Sessford, they are going to put a lot, a lot of pressure on the province to try to come up with a decision on how to replace that uh, aging tunnel. So I think... On a provincial uh, scale, that's an interesting one to watch because those outcomes would mean very different things for the way they work with the province. Final word to you, Shannon. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens in the Nanaimo race. Um, it could, as Keith pointed out, have some very, very interesting um, implications for the province going forward. Um, Krogh does seem to have uh, a healthy amount of support there, so it looks like you know there's a strong possibility he could be the next mayor of Nanaimo, which it has been an interesting municipality to watch local governance of over the last couple of years. There's been some crazy stuff going on there. Um, and then, of course, going back to a by-election um, where we don't exactly know how things are going to shake out or how that's going to work for the government that we currently have. Yeah, and I'll be keeping an eye on Victoria. It'll be interesting to see if Lisa Helps pulls one out oh. there. Uh, and Warren Bateko is back in Parksville. That's an inside joke. Anyway, uh, Keith, uh, <laughs> Keith, Richard, Shannon, uh, welcome. Welcome, and thanks so much for a great show. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Go vote. Yeah, absolutely. Go vote. Tomorrow's the Civic Election Day. Get out there and vote. That's it for today's Inside Politics. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL next week. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now.